Welcome to another edition of Market Impact Insights, your podcast source for business leadership perspectives to help your business grow. Hear from experts in marketing, sales, business strategy, and more with practical advice for business success. Make sure you won't miss the latest episodes by visiting marketimpactnow.com. Now, here's your host, Dan Albaum. Welcome back to another amazing edition of Market Impact Insights. And I came across a quote that relates to today's topic that is that good companies manage engineering, but great companies manage product. And so we're going to talk about product today, product from the standpoint of doing amazing things in developing products to also world-class excellence in launching products. And joining us for the discussion today is Barry Isburner. Now, Barry, for the last 25 years, has led business-to-business marketing teams at several high-technology firms, including Motorola Solutions, Simple Technologies, Nokia's Enterprise Division, and Avaya. Today, Barry is the managing director of a consulting firm that's focused primarily on product management and product marketing. And Barry has literally launched hundreds of new hardware, software, and service offerings over the years. He's also learned a thing or two about what separates winners from losers in the new product introduction process. Barry, welcome to Market Impact Insights. Thanks, Dan. Glad to be on the call. So, Barry, you've had a long career. It's the the common thread through these leadership positions has been in and around product development, product launch, product management. I'd like to go back and uh, what really got you focused from a career standpoint? What was your passion driving you uh, to this whole area of product? Well, I was always interested in the uh, changes of technology and how the inflection points of things like mobile technology or operating system shifts or software platform shifts uh, opened new opportunities for new companies to enter a space uh, and become successful. So I found it interesting sort of studying why did some of those products uh, succeed and why did some flop? And that got me closer and closer to understanding customer issues and marketing issues and engineering issues. Uh, and I just found it a fascinating uh, place to work, kind of a, being a kid in a candy store. And after, as you said, uh, hundreds and hundreds of new product introductions, hardware, software, and services, um, it's always been interesting to me. I've never worked on a project where, at least in the early days, I didn't think it was going to be really successful. And some of those launches have been incredibly successful and some have been abject failures. And so, uh, you know, really makes you think, what's the difference? Uh, why is one a big, uh, smashing, roaring success and the other one just flops uh, against all expectations? And, you know, you and I have worked together uh, in the past uh, at the same organization as well in and around a lot of the new product activity. And, you know, you mentioned success versus failure, what what separates that. And what I always found interesting was the term failure. Oftentimes, um, ultimately, it's the learning that you take from a launch that maybe doesn't meet the original projections. And that it isn't so much of a failure, but you you turn that learning into future success, right? It's, it's, so it's what you do with Absolutely. that learning, right? Absolutely. In fact, that's a, an important part of uh, what I've learned, if you will. I've got some sort of five points, five rules to live by. 
in product marketing and product management that I try to stick with. And one of those is making sure you're very clear about uh, doing some postmortems and looking at, you know, after the initial launch point, uh, what did you learn? So, yeah, so you know, you, go ahead. No, I was just going to say, Barry, before we jump in and, and dive a little deeper into um, those rules for success, are there some underlying challenges, just things endemically that you see in the various organizations you've been in that are, are the roots of potentially some blocking items that then you apply those rules against? Absolutely. Uh, there is always the challenge of getting alignment, getting alignment with the senior executive team, uh, getting alignment between sales and marketing and engineering about exactly what are we trying to do, what would be a successful outcome, uh, and making sure that if there's any dissension among those groups, that people feel that it's a safe organizational environment to bring them up. I can't tell you the number of times that I've completed a, a launch and um, you know somewhere down the track, someone says, oh, I never thought that was going to work. Or uh, I don't think that's very successful. You're like, well, wh wh wait a second. <laughs> why, why didn't you bring that up earlier? Or what? where was your concern back when we were at the start of this process? So it's really incumbent on the executives uh, in these organizations to foster that kind of an environment where you can have those honest conversations up front uh, and work through any uh, misalignments that you might have. Yeah, it really seems like the product development process, because it touches so many functional areas, and it's the ultimate in cross-dependencies, and, and a lot of times it's it's over a long period of time. It's not always a quick turn. It seems like it, it becomes a real pressure test for the kind of culture that you have in terms of openness and honesty. Couldn't agree more. In fact, it's interesting to me that I've been brought into several organizations that had a failed uh, marketing team. I've heard that from the CEOs that have hired me over time, uh, trying to come in and do a turnaround situation. And it's those organizations where people are running scared. Uh, they're afraid to bring bad news to senior management because they literally want to keep their jobs. Uh, they don't have a good relationship with sales, so they stop talking to them. And that's just disastrous. And so those are probably the toughest organizations to uh, help because they have the least uh, open culture when it comes to talking these things through. Absolutely. So Barry, you've developed these five golden rules, these key rules for product success. Uh, why don't we start walking through that? Because I think there's some really great insights here. Okay. Uh, and this is not like the 10 commandments, but it's five things that I always keep in mind and try to use when I'm driving new product development. Uh, and as you mentioned, Dan, I've been through a lot of these, and it's interesting. Uh, in the last few assignments, I was in organizations that were bringing out 60, 65 new product introductions a year. And that includes everything from simple dot releases on software uh, to whole new hardware platforms to line extensions. When you're doing 60 products a year, that's more than one a week. It's usually coming from multiple product groups. Uh, it's a going through a global organization. You better have some good processes to try to coordinate those things because you just can't have, you can't treat each one like a unique snowflake with its own launch plan. It's got to be integrated with the others. So that's always a challenge as well. But when I look at any individual project, step number one is tackling 
the fuzzy front end. Now, in every tech company in the world, we're all essentially uh, following the same series of steps to develop our product roadmaps, uh, design and launch products. That usually includes checkpoints or stages or phases, depending on the vocabulary of the company. It begins with understanding our markets and customers, their operational problems and challenges, and the size and cost of those problems. We can then start generating product ideas or concepts that use our technology to address those problems. We do feasibility analysis to try to decide which ones we can actually design and build effectively to make the decisions. And then we have to go through making some choices about, all right, can we even develop a product that addresses the customer's issue? Can we do it at a price that the customer can afford and finds attractive? And can we do that at a cost where we can actually make a profit? Uh, and then will that product be differentiated from the competition or will it be just a weak me too offering? And during that process, uh, you got to make some really hard choices about which opportunities to pursue. You know, often say we can build that, but should we build it, right? Should we take our precious engineering resources, our precious capital, our precious sales time, and even go down that path, even if somebody has a great brainstorm about what we might design? Um, and when we get through that and we decide which opportunities to pursue, we begin a development phase. We take it through a pilot phase, then into volume shipments, and then we clean up the mess. Uh, I, mean, I mean, celebrate our success. And that all sounds really smooth and easy to follow. You got five, six, seven steps or phases, go one, two, three, four, five, six, and there you are, right? But the reality is it's very different. And the biggest challenge is at that very first step. It's when most products start out in a very messy, chaotic, confusing stage, which is often called the fuzzy front end, because you're not quite clear about what the customer problem actually is, which ones to worry about, which ones not to, how big those opportunities are, what is the cost issues for the customer, and you still don't have a real solid idea of what you want to design. And this is the hardest part of the overall job. How do you effectively and rapidly get through this stage? Because one of the biggest concerns that I've seen is that even if you end up with a great idea, if you take too long to go through that first step, which I've often seen sometimes can last two or three years or longer sometimes, you've probably lost the initial spark of the idea. You've lost the market momentum. Or you got to ask yourself, if I've been still thinking about this for three years before I bring it to market, why hasn't somebody else done it if it's such an obvious answer, right? Now, numerous books have been written on this subject, on the fuzzy front end. You can Google it and find lots of articles, lots of books. Uh, there are, in fact, a number of consulting firms like my own that specialize in helping companies get through that process and go through the appropriate steps. But the first step first uh, rule in my mind is to get through that front end quickly. Do it in about three to six months. Go through and do your customer analysis. Go through and have your brainstorming discussions with engineering. Get through the most promising concept. Work up your business case quickly, as efficiently as you can, and put it in front of the executive team and make a decision. What I've often seen is, you know, because it's fuzzy, you're never going to have perfect information. We always want to go back again one more time, look further, dig deeper. And that's the death of a lot of these projects. So 
um, study a little bit about that fuzzy front end process, agree on the steps you're going to go through to make a crisp decision and then get it over with. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I can really relate to that fuzzy front end. And what I've seen in my experience is uh, sometimes the temptation uh, to really hedge bets. And so the the idea that you're trying to evaluate simultaneously so many different uh, opportunities that it's hard to create the right organizational focus. And uh, and then ultimately, by, by spreading the organization and resources uh, so thin, um, it's, it's like doing things, uh, trying to do more things, but at more of a mediocre level as opposed to focusing on one thing and really, really hitting a home run. And so that can, and that can also more data points to simultaneously consider. So Barry, as you were talking about, just kind of getting bogged down and being more indecisive versus more def- decisive, uh, that really creates some, some challenges. Yeah, I agree. I've also seen a couple of uh, notable um, failed products where the original work to define the solution was done, but then for budget reasons or resource issues, the company just couldn't tackle that project this year. So they put it off a year, then they put it off another year. Pretty soon that project gets green-lighted and you find out, well, wait a second, the guy that originally kicked it off or the woman that came up with the spark of genius did that two years ago and the market has moved on since then. So just going ahead and greenlighting a project that's probably two years old in time uh, can really be devastating to the success of a project. So making sure you get it over with in a maximum six-month effort and then get on with it is is key for that first step. Yeah, yeah. So Barry, an organization has successfully navigated the fuzzy front end. What's next? Well, let's look at another um, rule to live by, and that is – following a very clear process when it comes to actually doing the introduction of the product. So now assume that you've gone through, made those hard decisions. Uh, You've designed the product and you're getting close to the point where you want to bring it to market uh, on the backside of this flow, if you will. Um, It's very important that you have a clear and logical series of steps that you follow over several months that lead up to the actual public introduction of the launch. And I think of this as typically six steps, and I'll walk through them briefly, and then I'll go back to each one. The educating your internal support team, step one, educating your own sales force, step two, talking to your critical distributors, systems integrators, uh, three, talking to your resellers, ISVs, independent software vendors or app partners, four, talking to press and analysts, five, and then finally, talking to, quote, the public, the installed base, your customers that weren't part of your original design effort, of course, uh, is the last step. And successful business-to-business technology companies follow these steps in that order if they want to maximize the effectiveness of their introduction. And so in general, I like to start at least six months prior to the first public introduction date of a new offering by educating all the internal teams that are required to support the launch, just to make sure everybody understands what we're trying to do, when we're planning to bring it out, what's the complete definition of the offer, including things like service and support plans. And so that means getting all of your internal folks like tech support, maybe product training, production operations, legal, uh, sales operations, corporate marketing, regional marketing, everybody that's 
that's required uh, on the same page. So first thing that means is knowing who is on that list. Uh, you can't just tell every employee in the company. So you have to have a definition of a launch team with the specific names of who you're going to tell. And you need to give each one of those organizations a chance to give you the right name, keep that name list current in case somebody leaves or gets a new assignment, uh, and basically keep everybody on the same page throughout. So second, you're going back and talking to your own sales team. And you're probably doing this at least three months uh, ahead of the public introduction. You need to tell them what your launch plans are. You know, what have you built? What's the positioning or the story behind what you're offering? You need to explain if it's going to be replacing something that exists in the line. Uh, you need to talk about the pricing strategy and help them understand exactly how you're going to bring this out. Ideally, at that point, you've got either uh, alpha units or beta technology to show them, to let them handle it, to let them see it in an operation uh, rather than just explaining it. And you need to have be able to tell them about things like critical accessories. Um, seeing a lot of products fail because the core offering is brought out, but the other ancillary accessories, services, support programs weren't ready at launch. And so the old idea of, you know, you lost the nail, you lost the horseshoe, you lost the horse, you lost the rider, you lost the war. Having every little detail figured out so that's available all at the same time is important here. Yeah. Hey, Barry, so I've been in some companies where that marketing and sales relationship, this is where, where this part of your step uh, really brings us to bear in terms of the quality of that relationship, because I've seen a reluctance sometimes to be open ahead of that launch to share information with sales, but that creates even bigger problems, right? If you're not if you're not giving that advanced view, you're setting yourself up for maybe some unanticipated challenges. So it really means being comfortable in terms of sharing internally with the right caveats. I absolutely agree. And this idea that if I tell my sales team it's going to leak out, uh, that's a no, that's a different problem that you have as an organization. So I'm often doing that sales training and reminding everybody this is absolutely company confidential. This is key to keeping our competitors uh, off balance, is not telling them in advance what we're going to do. And so until I give you the okay, do not tell distributors, do not tell partners, certainly do not go out and talk to customers that weren't part of maybe our original product uh, concept development, you know, small handful of customers. Um, and I often remind people we'll be watching uh, the actions that are out there. If we find leaks, that's a fireable offense. And I know where everybody works and lives, <laughs> jokingly. <laughs> so, you know, you got to yeah. constantly remind people to do the right thing and keep it to themselves. Um, you want to do that because if you find at that stage that your sales force has got concerns, well, you should learn from that because you should have discovered that a year ago when you were doing your original thinking and discussion with sales leadership uh, about the solution. If the if you got a big pushback from your sales force, you know, a few months ahead of launch saying you got the pricing wrong or that's not the right spec or that's not a competitive offering, you know, you should really be uh, questioning, did you do the right process uh, in the middle stages, right? Okay. So um, when you're going out to critical distributors and integration partners, uh, that's really important because you're expecting them to back you up 
by recommending your offer. That means you got to give them technology to test so that they can have their own sense of confidence in what you've built. Uh, you need to give them time to create their own marketing materials and, and content, get their own training materials done and give them some time to get that accomplished. And that doesn't happen overnight. So you need to allow time uh, where you've talked to distributors and you've talked to integrators so that they can be ready before you go to resellers who typically buy through distribution or work with uh, major integrators or app partners. Uh, They need time to get their story together. They need time to train their salespeople. They need time to get their website pages, plans updated and get their, their marketing collateral done. Because the whole idea here is to make sure that when you finally get to that public announcement date, ideally, everybody's fired up on the same day. Everybody's website is simultaneously updated. Everybody can start selling your product openly. Uh, everybody can be talking about it knowledgeably, with experience, with content, in their format, uh, however they want to do it. And so you got to have this series of steps in the right order with enough soak time, I call it, between each step so that everybody can be ready to go. I think a lot of companies forget to worry about talking to press and analysts. And it's not because, you know, we want uh, some member of the press to, you know, pat us on the back and tell us what a great job we did. But as much money as you will spend on marketing your own solution, most people these days are getting their initial impressions from reading articles about your offering, reading reviews, if there is such a thing in your product category. Uh, They might be talking to industry analysts like a a Gartner or a Forrester or an IDC or someone asking them, did you hear about the the new offering from ABC Corporation? What do you think? They'll do a lot of work, it's been shown, well before they will ever alert you that they have a project uh, or that they're interested in talking to one of your salespeople. So if you have not done the right job of identifying the influencers, the press that your customer reads and each of the verticals that you're trying to serve, if you don't know which analysts your target customers are talking to, go do your homework. Uh, and make sure you do a good job briefing those folks. You do not have to be a you know high cost Gartner subscriber to educate Gartner analysts, as an example, about your offering. They're eager to hear about everybody's new offering, whether or not you're a client of those firms. So take advantage of that. And it's only after you've done all those steps, internal salespeople, sales teams directly, your distributors and integrators, your resellers, and the press that you go public with your offering. Got to have the discipline to follow these steps in this order and do not uncork the wine before it's ready to drink, I say. I know how tempting it is to display a product that's under development at a trade show, uh, you know, a coming attraction, or to let salespeople start going out and leaking it to people. Um, You're going to do a small amount of that because you need beta accounts, but I would recommend you keep it to a minimum uh, number of customers that are going to hear about it and they sign a non-disclosure agreement and understand it's a secret while you're doing that. Because the problem is, as soon as you start talking about something, um, you got to start answering questions. Uh, you know, partners are going to have questions. Customers are going to have questions. Uh, if you haven't gone to the steps of educating everybody, and building up their confidence or giving them a chance to educate 
their salespeople at say a reseller or a distributor, what's their answer going to be when a customer says, what do you think about this new offer from ABC Corp? Customer's going to, the, the partner's going to say, uh, I don't know, I'll get back to you. Let me check into it. They feel stupid. The customer questions whether they're a partner of yours or not. And it just annoys everybody. So, you know, do the right thing. Never underestimate the power of a first impression because you really only get one chance to get that right at launch and have a series of steps you're going to follow and stick to them. The last person you want to hear about your new offer, of course, is the competition. And if you leak your product news too early, uh, it just gives them more time to react. So I would strongly warn against popping something out at a trade show. I'll tell you, you know, time and time again, I've seen a situation where, we're, you know, we're planning to introduce something at a big trade event in retail. Say we're going to go to the National Retail Federation show. And that show starts on January 10th. And we're planning to announce this product on January 10th. And then the product's late in engineering. I've been there. That's a, that's a painful decision to make about what to do when the product is late. I really want to err on the side of holding back on the public unveiling at a trade show like that, even if it means you don't really have that much new. You can show the product to selected accounts in a back room. Uh, you can do a little whisper campaign to the key accounts saying, hey, give me your card and let me know who your executive is in charge of this part of your operation. I've got something new I want to talk to you about in a couple of weeks, but putting something out early on a trade show floor where your competitors can crawl all over it and listen to your story before it's ready, just gives them more time to react. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, why would you make it easier for them? <laughs> exactly. I want to exactly. completely surprise them and have the product in distribution and in partners' hands with their applications running on it before the competitor ever hears about it, if possible. Right. Right. So Barry, we've attacked the fuzzy front end uh, we've talked about following the right communication steps and training steps in the right order to the right audiences. So what happens next? Well, it's not so much next, but another key step here is being really clear internally about concrete goals that you're going to try to achieve, particularly in the first 12 months after launch, in terms of things like revenue, buy vertical market, by region, maybe even down to the country, uh, and making sure that everybody's in agreement that if you actually hit those levels, if you get that margin level, if you get that penetration level, if you get these kinds of accounts to buy in, that that will be considered a big success. This is when it comes to that difficult conversation with the executive team that says, uh, I'm going to generate, you know, this is this is a real world example. Uh, I'm going to generate $30 million from this product in the first three years. And I've had CEOs say, if that's all you're going to do, get out of my office. That won't reach, you know, 10% of the numbers that I was expecting from this vertical. And if that's all you can do, don't bother. Now, that's painful to hear, but I'd much rather hear about it up front then hear about it just before we're ready to launch. And you'd be surprised how often those, con those goals that people are talking about are very fuzzy. I have not agreed on how much is going to come from, say, retail versus transportation and logistics 
applications or how much is going to come from manufacturing space or how much from healthcare or government. Um, we don't agree on how much is going to come out of the United States versus EMEA versus APAC. So I am a big proponent of making sure there are concrete numbers coming from sales that says, if I build this product with these characteristics and I give it to you by this date, what is the first 12 months of revenue at a minimum? And obviously you have a business case uh, that's usually longer than that, that you put your plans together on. But I really want to make sure that everybody's in sync about what's going to happen in the first year, because no product is an overnight success. It's almost, you know, very rare that something's a hit right out of the box, right? It takes a while, particularly in the technology space, enterprise class systems, where you've got a lot of integration work to do. And so most major accounts are going to start out with a pilot test, and then maybe they're going to do a limited rollout. And then if you're lucky, you go to full, you know, organization-wide rollout. And so I've also seen where you do a fantastic initial introduction. Uh, you have a great marketing campaign. You do a great marketing event. And then everybody sort of forgets about it and moves on to the next product. Again, I got 60 products to launch a year. That's pretty tempting, right? Um, so I'm a big believer in having a very clear set of concrete goals that, is documented and that you're constantly keeping up to date. I would go so far as, and I, I've used a, uh, a, a sort of checklist mentality for product introductions, uh, particularly over the last several years, which is a one page summary document that has everything that needs to happen to be ready for the launch in terms of the product development, all the accessories, all of the distributors that we hope to sign up, all of the partners that we hope to have with us at launch, take it right down to the target account list, the sort of flagship accounts that your sales team believes are the most likely prospects for this new offer. Put them down by name. If you're in retail, is it Walmart and uh, Target? Or is it Bed Bath & Beyond or the Sock Shop or who the heck are you aiming at? Who do you honestly think is going to be buying this product uh, in the first couple of years of availability? I believe in putting that down in the original uh, definition of the product and then keeping track of that specific list of names. And I do the same thing with the partners that I want to have there. If I've got partners with application software, that are needed on top of, say, my hardware and software offering to bring a complete answer to a customer. I want to name those partners that I'm targeting. And it's then interesting every month to come back as you get closer to launch and revisit that list. What you'll typically see is that the customers you were targeting one by one slowly start falling off that list for whatever reasons. They don't have the budget as we expected. Uh, we misjudge their interest in the idea. Uh, they bought from someone else and we've already lost the deal because we weren't ready on time, whatever it is. And I usually take these one page summary documents and I'm happy to supply a copy of a real world document for a product introduction tracking document, these one page summaries. I color code them yellow, uh, green, yellow, red to be obvious what the color coding is. Green means everything's in place on that item. 
we're right on time, we're right on schedule, it's going as we expected. Yellow means I got some concerns about that customer or that partner or that part of the solution, but uh, we think we're going to get it resolved before we get to launch. And then red is, you know, Houston, we have a problem, right? Something isn't going according to plan. Some major account we were really counting on for the business case is no longer a potential prospect, or there's some kind of problem with the original expectations on cost or timing or whatever it is, right? And I'm a proponent of uh, publishing these stoplight charts or these one-page summary charts every month to everybody that's on the launch uh, team, that list you originally put together, to explain, you know, what's going on. And that includes if the revenue expectations coming out of, say, APAC have now changed because you don't have the customer or the product didn't quite get to the cost level we were expecting, you need to allow the APAC team to stand up and say, I'm not going to generate $50 million anymore. It's down to 35 And you need to have an environment that says, what changed? And tell me about it. What, why did we, what happened to the original expectations? Were they too high just to begin with? Did you misjudge the size of the opportunity? Or did we miss something in the product realization that you were assuming was there at the beginning? Because you want to learn from those missteps. Uh, you want to make sure you don't keep making the same mistake over and over. You make new mistakes, right? Uh, and so documenting what is changing over time as you're getting closer and closer to launch. And I'll start a lot of those charts as often as a year uh, ahead of the launch date is when I actually first start putting the beginnings of those charts together. Because, you know, that's what I'm already working on, launch planning and original assumptions. Yeah, yeah, that's a real sensible universally understood concept, the the stoplight, right? And understanding the different uh, color indicators. But it also, Barry, uh, really beyond the process, comes back to the culture in the sense of the owners of those projects having the trust uh, and that sense of confidence to be able to be very honest about something that's not in a green state, right? Because I've seen situations where there's a tendency to want to sugarcoat things and not be all revealing. So it seems like along with having the discipline of the process, it also comes back to the people that are responsible for those one-pagers really being open uh, because it's a constructive learning environment. You reminded me of a very important point I failed to make in that those stoplight charts, there's two, two variants of it. There's the one that comes from the central product marketing team and then there are pages coming from, say, each vertical market, if you're organized that way, or each sales region, uh, say, APAC, EMEA, North America, if you're organized that way, or whatever your structure fits for you. Um, and so they're in charge of the color of their pages. They're the ones that are saying, in APAC, if that's how you're organized, for that new offer, I'm committing to 30 million of revenue at the beginning of this project, and I'm still on track for that. I think these are the customers that I thought were in the original target list, and they're still in my list, and they're green. Uh, or, no, that customer's not right anymore, and I'm making them red. So, you know, getting people to be honest about where they really stand, because, you know, 
it's a real problem if everybody says, oh, it's, you know, everything's great, everything's green, we're ready to go, everything's wonderful. And then you bring the product out and, and something goes wrong and you all fall on your face and you're wondering, well, what happened? You know, trying to get people to be honest at that point when you're searching for the guilty is <laughs> not yeah. very conducive to a conversation. Yeah, you know? yeah, absolutely. So we've been talking about the importance of establishing these very concrete goals. But beyond the goal setting, there still is a very huge need for effective communication, isn't there? Absolutely. And in fact, that's step four. Uh, communicating, uh, again, to that required list of people enough that you covered all those different departments throughout the company. Uh, you know, getting down to the legal department, I, I'm telling you, I lived this. You, you finish something and you find out there was a legal review that was supposed to happen or you needed legal authorization to make a claim in an advertising campaign. You didn't tell them what the campaign story was. You got all your material done and the legal department's going, you can't say that, you know? Now, you know, I'm the kind of person I don't necessarily, I'm married to a lawyer. I don't necessarily take legal's <laughs> definitive answer. I might push back or have a conversation with them about the claim of it being fastest or best or smallest or whatever uh, that they're un- concerned about. But, you know, getting those things resolved before you're going out and make the public announcement is key. So, Having that complete list of all the right people in all those different departments throughout the company that are required to have a proper launch so that they know where you're at on the product definition. You haven't changed the spec. You haven't changed the price targets. You haven't changed something about the cost. Um, They still know when you're planning to go through those steps that I talked about, talking to sales, talking to distribution, talking to resellers so that they know when their part of the content has to be completed. And putting that out, I use a a monthly calendar update where I've got the launch calendar for all 60 of those things that I'm launching, uh, along with those one-page summaries. And I specifically, on the front page of all the calendars, put a list of all the ads, moves, and changes, as I call it. So if you've changed, if you've added a new project, it's clear something's been added and you know what the date is. If you've moved something, we're not launching in July, we're now launching in September. We were going to do it at this trade event, now we're going to do it at this partner event, whatever it is. If you change something fundamental about the definition of the offer during the development process, you need to go back and remind people of that. The, the thing we were talking about in January, now it's July, we're planning to launch next January. But that product spec has changed. We're not going to do the healthcare variant anymore, or we're now going to scale back on the the versions that work in manufacturing for whatever reason. I'm just making up these examples. Those would be examples of documented changes to the program spec. So making sure you do that on a monthly basis, going through the process to document it all. I'm a big proponent of writing it all down, not just because I want to create big books for everybody to read, but if you don't put it down in black and white, uh, people just don't get the message. I've had many, many times when, you know, we're getting ready to, uh, you know, a, a date is coming up, October's coming up, and I get somebody in support calling me going, are we still launching in November? I'm like, no, we decided to move it to February three months ago. You didn't hear about that? Um, so putting things down on paper, communicating continually inside. Don't forget to communicate with the partners if something changes. 
those distributors, those resellers, if you're already at that stage, uh, and just making sure everybody knows what the heck's going on. Yeah, yeah, that's that is definitely critical. And we've covered a lot of ground. We've gone through these different stages. We've talked about how to communicate effectively in an organization, how to do the proper homework and understanding your market, understanding the opportunity, having concrete goals, all of that. And then we get to launch day. And that's the celebratory, uh, the fruit of all of that preparation. We get to launch day, but it really doesn't stop at launch day, does it, Barry? No, and I think this is absolutely critical. Um, When I have a product manager assigned to a new product introduction, they are not off the hook for at least a year uh, after that product is launched. It is really tempting, again, especially if you're in an organization that's pumping out new product offerings, new service offerings, uh, new software releases, you know, every week, every month. It's easy for product managers to go, okay, I did all the stuff getting up to it. Uh, The big bang was on January 10th. Okay, wipe my hands of it. I'm off. I'm on my next project, right? Um, You can't let that happen. You got to go back and for the least, I'd say, 12 solid months, that product manager needs to go and look at the results that are happening. Um, If you're on course, that's great learning. Everybody should understand that we're meeting all the goals we expected in the first four quarters. And I would look at it on a quarterly basis. Uh, I would, they have to address any gaps. If it turns out something, we overlook something. Uh, Remember I had a a project uh, with a big telecommunications firm where we brought out a product and it turned out that there was, we didn't think about the actual implementation, installation, and rollout of this solution into a live network environment enough. And so it turned out we didn't have enough tools for the IT teams and the network operations people and the voice teams to really properly do an implementation of this system. It's almost like you had to take the whole network down to put this new system in, and that wasn't going to work. There had to be more of a transition process. And we did not think about that as thoroughly as we should have. And so while the product was really attractive and a lot of people were really interested in it, it was just too hard to implement. Uh, And so it slowed down everybody's rollouts uh, and added more risk to it uh, and and put more roadblocks in the way of getting the sale. And so we had to very quickly go back and create some additional tools for the IT department that went along with the actual new offer to make the implementation smoother. And once we did that, things started to pick up. Installation started to go more routinely through. So following for 12 months afterwards, not taking your eye off the ball immediately after the kickoff is key. It's also important during that 12 months to document where things go off course what happened? Not the search for the guilty again. You know, I know it always comes down to this. You know, you want to say, you know, what happened, Sally? What happened, Bob? And people take it personally. Their careers are on the line. They they know it. But to try to take it away from being a a personal attack when things go wrong to, you know, what happened? What did we learn? What can we do to help you recover? Um, I remember an infamous uh, uh, meeting I had where I had 
just joined a company to take over product management. I had a major new product introduction, something that was well underway before I ever arrived at the company. And when the launch happened, you know, I, I inherited it and things immediately started to go wrong. And the CEO, who I had never met before that point, came into my office and said, Isperner, you're screwing up again. And he, it's, I knew it was a joke. He was laughing. He said, what happened? How can I help you? How can, what do we got to do to recover on this, right? Um, that I really appreciated that. Uh, you know, first I said, hi, <laughs> nice to meet you. <laughs> my name's Barry, because <laughs> I had never met him. And I knew it was a joke. He, you know, he wasn't blaming me, obviously. He was trying to make the point. I, I, what can I do to help you? What went wrong? What did we learn from it? So that when we won't do this again and, and document that and share that with the team without it becoming pointing fingers, you know, service messed up, sales operations messed up, you know, some distributor didn't do what we wanted them to. Instead of it turning into a blame game, it's about the learnings that are going to occur. So, you know, don't stop at launch. So when you, when you look at those five steps, it's about attacking the fuzzy front end being really clear what are you trying to do in the beginning, having really concrete goals that you can document that will signify success when you get there, have a concrete series of steps you're going to follow and stick with them and allow time in between those steps to do the job well, constantly communicating with your colleagues and your partners all along the process. And then don't just stop at launch day, but stick with it Think of a project as lasting at least a year after the public unveiling before you close the book on it, do a postmortem and document what you've learned. So I've learned that from the hard way, from doing things really well. I pat myself on the back. I've had a lot of very successful launches, number one products in their categories, major breakthroughs into new segments. And then I've had some real stinkers that I wish I could forget. And I had to learn over time, how'd that happen? How did something with such great promise that everybody thought was a good idea end up being such a, such a bomb? Fortunately, those were a few, but they were painful and things to remember. So yeah, uh, yeah. that's what I yeah. can offer. Yeah, yeah. Great advice and also very applicable across a wide range of product or services, right? These are very universal, you know, in terms of these steps and, and very uh, clear to understand so, Barry, where can people find out more? For, uh, the area I'm in, B2B, high technology enterprise, that's the space I'm in and what I'm focused on. You might have a slightly different approach, but for something like a consumer product. But I think in general, uh, these steps are important no matter what you're designing, whether it's a consumer product or an enterprise B2B kind of product. Yeah, absolutely. So, Barry, where can people go to find you and, and learn more? Sure. Uh, the website, uh, the name of the company is MPC or Markets, Products and Customers, MPC Marketing. And the website is mpcmktg.com. That's mpcmktg.com. You can reach out to me directly. I'm happy to share the one pager examples. Obviously, I provide consulting services on all aspects of new product introduction. Uh, got a lot of network of uh, affiliates that work with me on everything from engineering and product development resources to marketing, communication, launch events, et cetera. So yeah. whatever challenges you have in new product introduction, 
uh, give me a call. I can try to help you out or give you some advice. Fantastic. Great conversation. Barry, thanks again for joining the program. Okay. Thanks, Dan. And look forward to talking with you again soon. And a reminder to our listeners, if you like what you've heard on our Market Impact Insights series, please make sure to go out, rate, and review. You can do that really easily on iTunes. It really does make a difference. And so long until next time.